all of you this morning. Um, welcome to 2018. It's pretty, uh, pretty, um, uh, pretty crazy how fast these years go. Uh, these years fly by. Um, this morning, I uh, want to uh, just welcome you guys here. I also want to welcome those who are listening online. And uh, glad you have a chance to check that, that out as well. Um, we're going to I just I don't want to jump right in this morning. I want to talk to you about something that every one of us deals with, every one of us experiences in some form or some way, and you may have experienced them over the holidays, uh, maybe a little bit more than, than, uh, than normal, but I want to talk about this topic of appetites. Appetites. I don't know if it's too early to show pictures of Christmas dinners, you know, if you're just like, oh, I just never want to see another piece of turkey in my life, but there you go. Uh, and then after all the New Year's dinners, anybody else eat too much over uh, Christmas and New Year's? Yeah, and then New, then New Year's, the parties, all the sweets, and then there's the leftovers and all the chocolate that just never seems to be gone. Uh, and and you, maybe you get to this place and you're like, I don't want to talk about appetites. I don't even want to think about that. It's like detox time right now. This is the week that I'm not, that I'm not eating any sugar. I'm eating green stuff. And I started realizing how bad this whole thing of how much junk food I ate got because I never, like me, I can count on one hand the amount of times I've ever craved a salad, and it was like this week, that's all I wanted, was just like, just give me a, a salad, something healthy. And the thing is, we all have appetites. Food's the easy one to notice, but the reason I want to talk about it is we all have them, but they affect our present and our future in major ways, and we're just going to look at that this morning. And I'm going to ask Brian to share, he's, a, he's got a, just a, a thought to share at the um, and we'll do that at the, at the very end this morning, if that's okay. Just some thoughts for this, uh, for this year. So, uh, you know, just jump right in this morning. Jesus talked a lot uh, about things that, that, that the people in that day and age and today it just makes them, you make it, it's that, that double turn of like, did he, just, did he just say that? Because that doesn't sound like anything that I've ever, uh, ever heard before. But as I read through scripture, as I read through the life of Jesus and his conversations with people, I'm amazed at how it affects me right here. I'm amazed at how often he says things and he just, it's like he just knew what they needed to hear in that moment and he, needs to, he knows what we need to hear in this moment. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous message, and it's one of those ones that's kind of strange because he, he starts off by saying this word blessed, and that word actually just means happy. He's saying, happy are the people who, and as he, as he begins to talk about this, this word happiness, he's, that, that word happy means prolonged happiness. It's not just like, oh, I was happy I went to Marineland, and then when I leave, I'm not happy anymore, or oh, I was happy I got my Christmas present, and the next day it broke, right? It's not that short-term happiness. It's this prolonged happiness. And so it's, he's, saying, he's saying, hey, there's, there's uh, people that have an appetite for happiness. We do. We, we have an appetite for happiness. And he begins to talk about that, that appetite by simply saying, happy or blessed are the people who are, who are poor in spirit or meek. And we're like, I don't even know what a meek is, but okay. Uh, and then as he, as he begins to talk about it, he's begin, he talks to a group of people who think that they know what will make them happy. He, he speaks to this group of people, and similar to us, we have these thoughts that we, we know what will make us happy, and we know what we would say would be, you know, we'd call ourselves blessed. We have thoughts in our minds of what they are, but then he begins this list. He says, happy or blessed are the poor in spirit, and he says, happy are the merciful. We're like, you know, if you just give mercy, you're going to be happier than if you don't. I'm like, okay, we can, we can go with that. Then he says, happy are the peacemakers, and everybody who's married knows if you're at peace with your spouse, you're happier than when you're fighting, right? Yeah, it's, he's like, okay, that makes sense. All those are no-brainers. But then he starts saying things like, happy are those who mourn. Well, which one is it? Happy or mourn? Then he says, happy are those who are persecuted. 
Uh, we don't understand persecution, but I think if we experience it, happy's not the, not the, the emotion that we're saying, yeah, that's, that's how we feel. He says, happy are, the, are those when they, are you when they lie about you and tell all kinds of evil things about you because of me. And we're like, nah, you know, I don't love being like made fun of for being a Jesus follower. What do you mean? Like happy, ha- happy or prolonged happiness is, is the characteristic of those people. It, that doesn't seem to, to mesh. And then right in the middle, he has this one, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. You can follow along. He says this, happy, the prolonged happiness are those who hunger. Those who want, those who need, those who seek with eager desire, those who have an appetite. He says, happy are those with an appetite, and happy are those who thirst, who are painfully and eagerly longing for the things that, that um, refresh and support and strengthen the soul. That's what those words mean. They're loaded words. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Have you ever been really thirsty before? Yeah, you know, you will come in after like a really hot day and it doesn't matter. Like I'm a kind of a germaphobe. If I see a bottle of water, even if it's in my family, it's half drink. Drunk? Drinking? I don't know what that word is. Anyways, you know what I mean. Half, half full. And so you, you, I see that. I'm not touching that. I'm going to find some. But you know when you're super thirsty, you run in, you just, it doesn't matter whose it is or how long it's been there, you drink because you're just super thirsty. He's like, that's the kind of craving. I remember now my kids have the same problem. It happens every night before bed, right? As soon as they're in bed and everything else is done, I'm thirsty. I need a drink. And, and we used to fight with that and be like, you know what? You're not, you'll make it till the morning. But they convinced us that they won't make it till the morning. So now it's the regular routine. I remember telling you guys, I think my babysitter back in the day told us, because we did the same thing, was just like, drink your spit and go to sleep. Uh, but we learned it didn't work for us, so we just let them have their drinks. But there's like this craving. And he's saying, if you'd have that hunger, that thirst for righteousness, God's way of doing things, his way of thinking, the right relationship with him, he says this, he says, those who hunger and thirst for that, he says, they'll be filled. You know why they'll be happy and prolonged happiness and blessed is because they will be filled. And the word means fulfilled, satisfied. It's like they, they use that word for the fattened calf, which is a little bit strange when we think about that today. But it's like you just had so much you can't have any more. It's like the perfect amount uh, of um, uh, whatever it is that you need. But he's saying you're going to have that sense of joy, that sense of happiness, that sense of fulfillment. And as we look at that, you see it around when you see Jesus followers who are just so set on, on Christ, their eyes on him, that whatever they walk through, it doesn't seem to phase them because they're, they've got this sense of happiness, this sense of blessing, this sense of fulfillment. And so this morning I want to talk about having an appetite for your future and three things. Last week we used three letters, TFT. Anybody remember? Give more thanks and you'll be happy that you did. You know, give more F, forgiveness, right? And you'll be happy that you did. And the last one was T, spend more time and you'll with people that you love and you'll be happy you did today's a little more difficult it's d d and d so number one if you want to write it down define your appetites define them discover your appetites and define them appetites we all have them and they're not just for food they're for all kinds of things and they're not necessarily good or bad just on their own just because you have an appetite for something doesn't mean that that's evil it comes from the latin word appetitus i guess if you add us to a word it's Latin, but appetitus is, uh, it just simply means this, this desire for, that you have a desire for. That's all an appetite is. An appetite for food, that's a healthy sign. When your kid's not hungry and never wants to eat, you're like, mm, something's probably not right with them. So having an appetite is not wrong in and of itself. There's appetites for affection, appetite for sex, appetites for food, appetite for all kinds of things. In and of themselves, the appetite isn't wrong. It's what you do with that appetite that determines what happens with your future. So the other day I was out driving with Link, 
Link is eight, he's always hungry, and he's like the foodie in our family. Like, you can't just keep giving him the same snack over and over. He wants different stuff that tastes good. And so we went out for the, for the afternoon, just spend some time together, dad and son, and, and as soon as we get in the car, he's like, dad, I'm hungry. And I'm like, well, we got some errands to do, but we're going to Simcoe, and I got this great idea. I was like, you know what, Link, we're going to drive right down Highway 3 all the way through Simcoe, and you just look at all the restaurants, and you just pick one. And he, he knows, he's been to a whole bunch of them, and so he's, he's thinking, okay. And he's like, really? I can, he's like, yeah, you choose what we're going to eat, and we're going to go there. And so he right away says, Dad, not Pizza Hut. I know there's a Pizza Hut, but I had pizza for lunch and didn't fill me up. No pizza. I'm like, okay. Then he says, and not Wendy's, Dad, because Elijah, his cousin, went there, and he said, and he saw uh, one of the workers go into the bathroom in the stall, Dad, came out, didn't wash his hands, and went straight to the cooked fries. And he's like, we're not going there ever again. And you might not go there either now. But as, as we're driving through, and if you're familiar with that road, he's like, you know, past not McDonald's, no, not A&W, not Harvey's, not Swiss Chalet, not even the dollar store for cheap snacks, not Pita Pit, not Chinese food. He'd let me go to Tim Hortons, but he didn't want something from there. And after going all the way through down, we get to TSC, and we're like, okay, Link, we passed them all. You know, you got to choose. He's like, I've chosen, Dad. I know. What I, the thing I want the most is this, crazy fries from Fast Eddie's. I, I know, I, I had to show this picture because I showed the pictures of the actual stuff and it just makes me want to barf looking at it, right? <laughs> but this is, what he, this is what he wanted. So as we went back, I'm like, okay, fine. And as we get to the order window, he says, Dad, are you going to order some for you? I'm like, well, I don't know. Are you going to share with me? He's like, no. I'm like, okay then, fine. I'll, I'll order my own. And so we're sitting there and as he eats every savory bite, he's like, thank you, Dad. This is just so good. Oh, Dad, this is so good. As we're driving, driving along, he's eating it. And I'm like, man, this kid, like he's so easy to please. Then he finishes it, and about 15 minutes later, we get to Dick and Liz's place, and I look over, and he's like, ugh. I'm like, what's wrong? He's like, Dad, I feel sick, you know? Like, like oh, great, you know? Like, why, why do we do this? Don't tell Mom, you know, we're not supposed to spoil our dinner, but we might spoil the rest of the evening. But it's, he's like, oh, I don't know why I wanted that. And you know, it's just such a clear picture for me that we do that so often. We've got these appetites for things, and then afterwards we're like, Oh, Dad, I feel sick. Why, why did I do that? And, you know, uh, maybe you've had the same thing. Have you ever had, you know, one of your appetites and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, afterwards you're like, oh, I just regret that I made that decision. You satisfied an appetite and afterwards like, oh, man, I wish I hadn't. Well, there's an ancient story in the Old Testament, thousands of years old, that's, you know, what shows us some of the, the first people that walked the planet, and it wasn't much different for them. Let's, let me just read this story uh, for you. It's here on the screen momentarily from Genesis, Genesis chapter 25. So Jacob and Esau, two brothers. You know, if anybody has boys, you, this, is, this is not going to be new. This is, uh, uh, it says, as they grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was the firstborn. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. There was mama's boys back in the, in the Old Testament as well. You guys know who you are. You're good. All right, so then he says this in the next verse, verse 28. It says, Isaac loved Esau. Because he enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau brought home. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Here's dad has a favorite kid. Mom has a favorite kid. You got to know the Bible's true when they paint the pictures of bad parenting and just write it right in there, right? So he's like, here they are. They each have a, have a favorite child. And it says, one day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrives home from the wilderness. He's exhausted and hungry. What does he have? He's got an appetite for food. So as he comes home, he's exhausted and he's hungry. In the next verse it says, Esau said to Jacob, I'm starving. I'm not going to make it. Anybody with kids? You, you know how that goes, right? So he's like, give me some of that red stew. 
And then the writer puts in this interesting note. This, they say, this is how Esau got his name Edom, which means red, which, which means that after the fact, they used to call him, hey, red, hey, red, hey, red, rubbing in a decision that he makes right here. They, they, he's reminded in his nickname, you know, and some of you have nicknames for some of the stupid things you've done, right? Well, here, here's the things, here's this nickname that he keeps reminding him of. Hey, Red, well, here's what happens. He says, I need that stew. And then Jacob replied, okay, this is, Jacob's shrewd because what happens, you know, if you're, if you're an older brother and a younger brother, if you have kids, you realize that the younger brother always needs something from the older brother, but the older brother almost never needs anything from the younger brother. They're the boss, well, Jacob realizes here's that one moment where the older brother needs something from him and he's going to capitalize on it. So he says, trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Give me your birthright. And in, in the next uh, verse, he says, Esau says, look, I'm dying of starvation. He says, what good is my birthright to me now? See, when we read that word birthright, we don't really think about that because we don't have that anymore, unfortunately. Because what that meant is that the firstborn child which was for some of us is great, gets everything in the will. They, you, you, you get the whole business, you get all of the money, you get everything, and you get to rule your brothers and sisters and siblings. And somewhere along the line that got taken away from us, I think we should fight for that back. Then we would, just so we would better understand scripture, right? You see where, uh, but that's what happened. This is what Esau's about to give up. He's like, okay, fine. You can have it all. You can have the whole thing in the future. What good is it to me now if I die? In the next verse, it says this. Jacob said, well, first you've got to swear that your birthright's mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as a firstborn brother, uh, firstborn to his brother, Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew, just some bread and a bowl of beans. And it says Esau ate the meal, then he got up and he left, and he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. What does this story tell us? The story tells us that sometimes we're willing to give up way more than we realize simply to satisfy an appetite. That, that Esau was willing to give up his birthright, his whole future, mortgage his future for a bowl of beans. And for many of you, it's not a bowl of beans. It's not the same type of thing. It's not a food, but it's an appetite that you have, that you're, you're mortgaging your future just to simply satisfy an appetite. And we, you know, like I said, we don't do it for, we don't do it for food very often. You know, nobody's at the back saying, oh, I need another brownie. I'll give you my minivan if you just let me have one more brownie. That's not happening. But how many of these happen? Where it's like, you know, you've got such an appetite for a relationship. How many high school students have, haven't done this? Well, everyone else has a boyfriend or girlfriend. I just got to have one. I'll just date him. And, and, and all the other 15 girls he dated would tell you, don't date that guy. He's a jerk. But you just got to have somebody. How many have dated or even married the wrong person simply because of an appetite for relationship? For some, it's an appetite for being right. You got to be right. And so you verbally smash everybody else around you in the process just so you can come out being right. And in the end, you're like, nobody wants to hang out with me. Being right's being lonely. You know, appetite for getting your own way, you know, and you use anger poorly as a result. Or you have an appetite for happiness or an appetite for pleasure. And all of a sudden, all the S words come out. Shopping, sugar, sex, screens, stuff. Whatever it is, it's like, ah, I just, just got to have because of this appetite for pleasure. And later on, the question, was it worth it? So this morning, my challenge is that we'd become aware of our unhealthy appetites, that we would define the unhealthy appetites in our life. Last week, we had this, we, well, we didn't have a conversation. I just talked to you. You didn't get to talk back. But last time, last time we talked about this thought of giving more time to the ones who matter most. And for some of you, that was like, yeah, that's me. I, 
I, I'm, I'm not spending uh, the proper amount of time with the people who are important in my life. And, and I don't want to regret that. I want to do that. I want to spend more time. Well, one appetite that can hinder you doing what you actually want to do, spending time with people, is this one. The cell phone. You're like, oh boy, here we go. Now you're stepping on toes, my own included. In 1907, which is an interesting thing, it was shortly after the invention of the telegraph, that's over 100 years ago, there was a prediction that technology would change the way we live. They had had this sending an SOS through telegraph about a, an earthquake in San Francisco, and, and it, it so alerted people, they said, this is going to change the way we live. Well, the very, um, at the very end of that year, Punch Magazine, which is a British magazine, posted this little picture. They said, this is what it's going to look like in, in 1907. Two people sitting in a park with their little telegraph machines. Instead of talking to one another, they're just going to ticker tape and telegraph to one another. 1907. Interesting. It's going to change the way we live. Well, they were right, but they were about 100 years too early. Because about 100 years later is when Steve Jobs brought out this thing called the iPhone, and he said, this will change the way we live. And it's true. It's changed the way we live, but not necessarily for the better. The Globe and Mail had this article yesterday. said this, your smartphone is making you stupid, antisocial, and unhealthy. So why can't you put it down? Your smartphone is making you stupid, antisocial, and unhealthy. So why can't you put it down? See, the thing is that there was an appetite for some things. For some, it didn't start, like, maybe it was an appetite just for a device, but then it became an appetite for affirmation. How many likes did I get on that post? How many likes on Instagram? Who's following me? You know, and, you, and you're checking it. And it was an appetite for information. Just got to know who's doing what with who and why they're doing that. And, and you follow, and all of a sudden, those appetites, when they're not, they're not uh, guarded, they become addictions. Uh, and it's, it's, it's become so attached to that. There was a, I was telling Charlie this week, he was telling me about the funeral director he was talking to, and he said, it's, it's strange. He said, the whole funeral business is changing as a result. People don't come to the, to the visitations anymore. We have less visitations because people don't show up anymore. He says, like, there's, it's, it's a whole different way of relating to one another. It's almost like we should bury people with their cell phone because that's their best friend. It's like it's all about me, myself, and iPhone. And for those of you who are on the other side, me, myself, and Droid, you know that the, the, this is what it's all about. This is our connection, our relational connection to the world. But when it becomes that addiction, it changes the way we actually live. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know if you have a cell phone addiction, I can help you. There's a little test. If you feel anxious when you don't have your cell phone with you, or if you forgot it at home and you feel a little anxious because you just don't know what's going to happen, you may have a cell phone addiction. Yesterday, I went to a wedding, and as we were leaving, I had put on my suit, and I had forgotten my phone on the bed, and as we were leaving, I was just driving out of town, so I'm like, oh, I don't have my phone, and I realized, dang, I'm preaching about this. I cannot go back, so I, <laughs> I had to go to a wedding, and I sat there, and my fingers were twitching, and I saw Wesley's iPhone. I just had to touch it, you know, just sitting on the, on the table, just because just I'm like, oh, it's crazy, and I was like, but I have to have it because I don't know what time it is otherwise. And I realized that maybe, maybe, if you can't be away from your cell phone for more than 30 minutes, you have a cell phone addiction. If, uh, if you felt your, vi- your, your phone vibrate in your pocket um, and your phone wasn't in your pocket, you have a cell phone addiction. I know it's crazy how that happens. Or if you get out your phone, you're rereading your old text because you haven't got a new one recently. Or if you check it while you're driving, you have a cell phone addiction. I know it sounds humorous, but it's dangerous. It's dangerous, and sometimes, sometimes we don't realize the unhealthy appetites in our lives until someone else points them out. We don't realize that, like Esau, didn't have someone there. What if we could have been the guys to go back? 
What if, it, what if we could have gone back to Esau and Jacob in that moment? Because that's a, that's a real story that really happened. And we just time warped back there and was right beside Esau as he's about to go for the beans. We're like, Esau, hold on a second. Don't, don't do it, bud. You have no idea. We're going to be laughing at you like 2,000, 4,000 years from now reading this story. Don't do it, Red. He's like, what do you mean by Red? You're about to make this decision that's going to impact your future. If somebody could have said, you know, you, you don't realize that that this is just bigger than a beans, it's bigger than a birthright. Do you realize that God later on would introduce himself as I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? The person who took the birthright? He says, you know what, just think about this, Esau, this is more than you. It could be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Do you realize that out of the, next, out of the family lineage of this decision is going to come the Messiah, the Savior of the world? That that is on the table? If he had thought about all of that stuff, he'd be like, oh, yeah, maybe I'm going to make a different decision. But the thing, when, when we have these appetites, sometimes we need some some ones in our lives to help us understand that they're there. We need some some ones to say, hey, maybe you shouldn't be making this decision. And maybe you already have a someone in your life and you just don't realize it. And actually, maybe you take them for granted. It's that spouse who's nagging you about stuff. You know, they nag you about things you like, and you get all defensive because that's what you do. But maybe they're just making you aware of an appetite in your life that's unhealthy. We won't talk about that anymore. <laughs> I saw those eyes. All right, so. But it's healthy. You know, when you listen to those things and realize, yeah, my wife's amazing. She, she decided this year, she's like, I'm, I'm just going to spend less time on my cell phone. And then she's like, and we're going to play games. And I'm playing games with my cell phone. She's like, you know, it really helped me if we both did this together, you know. Like, it's not, I want to spend time with you, not you and yourself. I'm like, ah, okay. But if we have other people in our lives, and so that's one of the reasons we encourage people to join a small group where you go and you're around people and you invite them in to see your blind spots in your life. Because we don't want, we, if we think about it, we don't want the, the future that looks terrible. But we, are we willing to, to do what it takes now to make sure that those appetites don't take us down that pathway? We all have appetites. We all do. This whole room. Nobody needs to feel guilty about that. But what am I, what are you going to individually do about yours? So the last two thoughts on that is, number one, define them. Number two, deal with them. If you've got unhealthy, unruly appetites, it's, it, it's up to you to deal with them. How do you deal with them? Well, appetites, the truth is, they're never fully satisfied. There's no sandwich to end all sandwiches. There's no, like, you know, one meal that if I have that meal, I'll never need to eat again. It's like, paint me a portrait of me in the Last Supper because I'm never going to eat again. It's just not going to happen. You're gonna, you, you have that massive Christmas dinner, and the next day you're hungry. Same thing with everything. When it comes to sex, it's like that thought of, oh, if I just hooked up with her, or if I just hooked up with him, or if I just found the perfect person, it'll be great. Or maybe it's not even a person. Maybe it's a website. Maybe that's the appetite that draws you in. You think, oh, it's going to be. This one's going to be perfect. In the end, you realize the next day, the appetite's still there. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's that thought of, if I could just get that raise, if I could just get that promotion, well, how many raises and promotions has it been since that time? And you're still like, just need a little bit more. Maybe it's alcohol. That one drink to end all drinks. I know, I'm going to that one last party, and then that's it. And after that, what comes back? That appetite. Maybe it's winning. You just got to win, or maybe it's your team winning. Like when the Leafs win the Stanley Cup this year, it's only going to matter for a day. Have you ever thought of that? What a waste of time, us cheering for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Or anybody, Team Canada, they win the gold medal and all they say is, well, they've done it 17 times before, let's see what happens next year. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't matter, it doesn't mean anything. And yet we have so many that have this thing, I just got to win, I just got to get to the top, just whatever. 
and that appetite's actually destroying you. Unrestricted, unruled appetites lead to addiction. It reminds me of the old sermon illustration of the man with two dogs. He had a black dog and a white dog, and they were always fighting. And him and his neighbor would lean over the fence, and they'd, they'd place little wagers on the dogs of who's gonna, which dog's going to win the fight that day. And the owner could predict every day. It didn't matter which dog would win, if it was a black dog or the white dog. He always knew which dog was going to win. And finally, his neighbor says to him, how do you know which dog's going to win every single time? He's like, I know which dog's going to win because I know which one I've been feeding. Isn't it true? The appetites in our lives that take over are the ones that we've been feeding. Because actually the truth about dealing with an unhealthy appetite is to starve it. Not to feed it. It's to starve those unhealthy appetites. And maybe you need some someones to help you encourage that. Maybe it's a health-related thing and you need the Daniel plan and a group of people to join with to say, i got to starve an unhealthy appetite. All I want is pizza and waffles for breakfast. Somebody help. Maybe it's Celebrate Recovery where you're like, I just can't stop. I need somebody to help me. Maybe it's iPhone Anonymous. Start a group. I'll join. You know, it's whatever, whatever it might be to say I've got to deal with these things. You deal with an appetite by starving it. You deal with an appetite by replacing it with something else. Our body requires food. That appetite's not wrong, but it's not necessarily requiring, you know, waffles and French toast for breakfast and whatever else. You know, it's like the idea of replacing it with something else, something green, and you look at that and you're like, what is that? That's called vegetables. You know, the other thing is, you know, for, for some, it's maybe saying, I got to spend less time on my screen. I got to less time binge watching on Netflix and, and more time spending uh, time uh, reading a good book, or maybe less time at the buffet and more time at the gym, or less time working overtime for those extra dollars and actually spending this time, the valuable thing with the people that I care about, or less time in mindless entertainment, and more time reading God's word, listening to podcasts, spending time listening to worship music, and just simply having conversations with your heavenly father. As Jesus followers, that's the the challenge and encouragement. Maybe you sit here and like, yeah, but I don't like that stuff. I don't have an appetite for asparagus. You know, I don't have an appetite for things that are green. It's not what I want. The third thing is this, define them deal with them. And the last one is this, develop them. Develop the appetites for your future that are going to be beneficial for your future. The things that are good for you are often acquired tastes. Isn't it true? When you're a kid, your parents like, eat spinach. It's good for you. Look at Popeye. I'm like, Popeye sucks. You know, (laughs) I'm not going to be like Popeye. I hate spinach. But how many of you go to Subway now and like, hey, put more spinach on that? You know, you go to that drink juice smoothie place and it's called spinach is in it. You know, and that's like, that's the drink. What happened? It's like, it's an acquired taste once you realize that something is good for you. Well, it's not quite as easy. Well, I guess it's super easy to develop an appetite for sugar, but it's not quite as easy to develop an appetite for kale or quinoa or spaghetti squash. I'd apologize to my wife. She's trying, but I just, I don't know. It's not easy. Not easy to accept an app or to, to develop an appetite. For some, it's like developing an appetite for work. You know, to, to actually work hard uh, and to, to, uh, to just spend time working. You're like, man, that's, I don't have an appetite for that. I remember going to work in the greenhouse and I was like, oh, I hate picking up rotten tomatoes. And my, the guy I worked with said, hey, listen, decide to like it now and eventually you will. Like, that has been some great advice for my life. Decide to like it now, and eventually you will. An appetite for exercise might be difficult. I know the guy in the video tells me, smile while you sweat. You'll like it more. It's true, though. It's true. You know, for some, it's the opposite. You need to develop an appetite for rest, because all you do is go, 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 go all the time, and you don't realize that when you can just sit back 
for, for me, it's so difficult to sit back and do nothing, just to actually just spend time in peace and quiet, but developing an appetite for it. The way you develop an appetite for something good is the exact opposite of dealing with an appetite that's not, that's not good for you. You starve those appetites and you feed these ones. And there's different parts of us, and all those parts have different appetites. Last weekend, I was driving home with my son Maddox, and as we were driving home, it was a little slippery, and he's like, he's like from the back seat, Dad, Dad, if we get in a car accident, will my body go like right through the roof straight to heaven? And I'm like, uh, no, it doesn't really, it doesn't really happen like that. And uh, so we can explain to him the, the real him. Maddox is a spirit. He has a soul. He lives in a body. And the, each of us has that same thing. We're spirit, soul, and body. God talks that spirit part of us, our soul and our body. They all have their own appetites. You know, like my kids, like, Dad, my tummy's grumbling. My tummy's grumbling. Our body and soul... You know, they have the more noticeable appetites. They're the ones that, that we don't have to think about, but your spirit has an appetite as well. Psalm 1 says this, the psalmist wrote, Oh, the joy, the joy of those who don't follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join with mockers. They delight. They have a longing, a hunger, or a desire for the law of the Lord. They meditate on it. They think about it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. They basically just compare that life to being the one that we looked at earlier, that, that incredible blessing, that incredible fulfillment, that, that appetite that's satisfied that affects all the rest. Your spirit has an appetite, an appetite for the word that needs, that needs to have it filled, and it will affect the rest of the appetites in your life, I promise you. But you need to develop it. It's one of those things where you say, I'm going to spend some time just reading his word, putting his word into my heart. This week we said goodbye to a woman named Hilda Schur. For those of you who know her, Sweets Corners, she's been there, well, she's been there forever. Uh, she's 103 years old. 103 years old. But you know what's interesting about Hilda's story? When she was 91, she was sitting in Sweets Corners, and what Pastor Wes had challenged the, the church to read through the Bible in a year. She's like, I've never done that. It's been 91 years, so I'm going to start today. Most people would say, wow, it's been 91 years. It's too late for me. She said, you know what? I'm going to start today. And Hilda read through the Bible Every year for 10 full years, he said, I never understood or had a better picture of what this whole thing was about until I did that. And so my challenge would be, join the Bible reading with uh, Chris Stone and some of the others here on the YouVersion plan to read through the Bible this year. You're like, I can't do that. Then I challenge you to just read a one-day devotional or a four-day devotional or something to say, I'm going to put God's word in. Because you know what happens? The first day when you read something and later on that day, you're reminded of that. And it was like, that's what I needed for this moment. You, you're hooked. You just realize that's what I actually needed for my future. And not so that you would get really smart, bible smart, that you know the Bible inside and out. The most important thing is not to know the Word of God, but to know the God of the Word. That you would know Him. That you would know the person of, of Jesus. And so I encourage you and challenge you to develop an appetite for your future. Last thought. Maybe some of you here this morning, you're Jesus followers, and you just need a reminder and an encouragement to get into his word. But for some of you here, you're here and you're not followers of Jesus. So this, to you, this is like, when you talk about that emptiness or that appetite or that hunger inside, you don't know how to define that word, but you know it's there. And you've tried filling that with all kinds of different things, and it just, just never seems to, to be. It's like that, that journey of like, this is going to do it. And then you go through that, whatever it is, and, the, and then it's empty again. You buy that car. You buy that house. You get that job. You, you, you marry that person. You, you have those kids, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, it's like, there's just always something missing. Some have described it as a God-shaped hole. 
Others have described it as just as that inner longing uh, of the Spirit for, for, for God himself. Well, Jesus spoke to the crowds of people back in the day. He was always looking for individuals in the crowd. And I just want to read two verses to you. John chapter 7, verse 37. Jesus spoke this to a crowd back then. I believe he's speaking it to a crowd today. But more than that, I believe he's speaking it to individuals today. He said on the last day, it was a week-long feast. Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who's thirsty, anyone who has that inner appetite, that inner longing, may what? Come to me. Not come to religion, not come to a temple, not come to a church, not come to a new set of rules, not come to a new way of living. Come to me. Come to a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And it says, anyone who believes in me may come and drink. And the scriptures declare that rivers of living water will flow from their heart. That this fulfillment comes from inside because that's where he is rather than outside everything we try and pursue. John chapter 6 verse 35, Jesus earlier had replied. They had asked him this question about an Old Testament thought. And he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me. Some of you have tried church, you've tried religion, you've tried other things, and it's still empty because he's calling you to come to him. It's not about what you do on a Sunday or where you go, but do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with him, the person of him? Because he says, you know what? He says, come to me and you'll never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. See, that appetite gets fulfilled in him, and all of a sudden it affects the other appetites in your life. If that's you this morning, I encourage you to read through the Gospel of Luke. Learn about who Jesus is. Maybe join Starting Point with us so you can have some conversations. You're like, I just, I got to know more about Jesus. And to make the decision to follow him, to come to him. And you know what? As a follower of Jesus, I know from my own life, and I can see the experience, when that relationship with him kind of gets off the, off the course and it becomes about other things, the first indicator is that as your other appetites all start to grow again. Because really the honest truth is that the appetite that you've been designed for is simply to know your Heavenly Father. You're like, well, I'm not good enough. He took care of that on a cross. Well, I don't know how to do that. He says, just come to me. He's inviting you this morning. We pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that no matter how long it's been around, it, uh, it speaks to our very core of our being. Uh, this morning I pray for those, Father, that you're calling to come to you. They know who they are. They know the, the, the drawings that they feel in their heart. And I pray as they, as they take those steps towards you, Lord, that uh, they'd experience exactly what you said about in your word, that they'd experience that being filled, that fulfillment, that prolonged happiness in their life. Father, thank you that you uh, never leave us. You never forsake us. As we go this week in some of the difficult things we need to face, we know we go with you and for you. God, thank you for the opportunity to allow that river of life to affect those around us in our families, in our workplaces. May they see you in us, and may they see your goodness in us as we go from this place. It's in your name we pray. Amen.